Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Kyoto, Japan with my new friend Taro Moberly, a brilliant photographer and the author of In Kyoto. His mother's family is from Kyoto, and he came here in 2015 to better understand his heritage. Taro has been capturing his journey with his camera as he explores Kyoto and beyond. In this episode, Taro and I talk about visiting the Fushimi Inari Shrine, exploring the Arashiyama Bamboo Forest, and seeing the exhibits at the Manga Museum. He brought these three amazing experiences and so much more. If you know someone that wants to visit Japan, I'd love it if you shared this episode with them. The show notes and our one-page guide of Taro's tips are available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Kyoto. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Using airline miles and hotel points makes travel affordable, but keeping track of all those loyalty programs can be a challenge. That's why I use AwardWall to track my miles and points balances, reservations, and special goodies like free hotel night certificates and airline companion passes. Having everything in one easy-to-use dashboard helps ensure that I don't lose any rewards and makes logging into my accounts super easy. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash AwardWallet to start your free account. Hey, Taro, welcome to the show. Hey, Lee, thanks for having me. Right on. So today we're talking about uh, Kyoto, Japan, and Japan's like one of the places that I've always loved to travel to, but I haven't been able to go there yet. And so I'm kind of amassing a bunch of different cities that I really want to go to. And today you're going to be able to share your tips on, on the city. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely make your way out to Kyoto. It's a great city to visit. Right on. So, all right. So what's your connection to the city? My mother's family is actually from Kyoto. My mother was born and raised in Kyoto before moving to the U.S. at an early age. My name, Taro. Taro is actually a, a Japanese name. It, it actually means fat boy <laughs> in <laughs> Japanese, if you translate it literally. But yeah, I as a, as a kid, because of my, my family here, I spent a lot of time visiting, especially during summer vacations at school. I'd come and visit family. And yeah, I spent a lot of time here as a, as a child. And in 2015, as a, after graduating college, I was working in the U.S. for a couple of years and I decided, you know what, I want to try, try going out and living in Kyoto again and seeing what it's like as an adult, right? Because visiting as a child and actually working and living somewhere else, those are two very different experiences. So I kind of wanted to get both sides of that. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that I'm, I travel a lot with my kids right now. They're seven and 11 and I want to be able to expose them to different cities and that way they can, they can create their memories. And like, it's kind of cool watching them create their memories, but also I want them to be able to go back to a lot of these cities as they get older. And it's like, you kind of like those memories just come flooding back, right? Oh, absolutely. Any opportunity you can have, even as a child to get out and see somewhere else is an amazing opportunity, right? Absolutely. So I know later on, we're going to talk about your book that you've captured some of like these just amazing images of Kyoto and, and your experiences there and everything like that. But as you're going around and taking all these really incredible photos, if you had to describe like the people or the city in one or two words, how would you do that? Um, so Kyoto is known for being kind of the traditional city in Japan. Um, it's kind of the cultural capital of Japan, whereas Tokyo is the actual capital, there's a lot of history, a lot of tradition um, that remains in, in Kyoto, and it makes it a very unique city. 
in Japan. You think of like Tokyo, you know, big urban city that just sprawls on for forever. Whereas Kyoto is very, it's it's very much like a small town, right? Um, and it's surrounded by temples, and you have a lot of shrines. The old imperial palace is in Kyoto, so there's a lot of tradition here, and the people retain the the culture and the traditions as well. All of the the ancient Japanese traditions are very important to the people here. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I think it's if you're going to go, like, right, you kind of get the two different experiences, like you said, between Tokyo and Kyoto. Being able to see like that modern, because like Tokyo is just like this modern place is like constantly moving and you see all the people getting crammed into like the subways and all those other <laughs> things versus I think it seems like a little bit like slower lifestyle, a little bit more just chill in, in Kyoto. Yeah, a little bit. We we do. It's it's still a city. So we do have, you know, all the office buildings and the the crowded trains full of salary men you know, during rush hour. Um, that's still a thing here, but it's it's definitely toned down from what you would expect in a bigger city like Tokyo or Osaka even. Okay, F- fantastic. Kind of talking about Tokyo and, and, and everything, I know that a lot of times when people are flying from the United States to Japan, a lot of times they're going to go into Tokyo. Is there Are there direct flights to Kyoto or, or how do we get there from, like, say, the United States? Yeah, so there's no airport in Kyoto itself. Um, the closest international airport is Kansai Airport, um, which is down in Osaka. To get to Kyoto from Kansai Airport, uh, the easiest way is like there's an express train that takes a little over an hour, maybe an hour, 15 minutes, and it goes direct to Kyoto Station. But yeah, you're right. Most people coming to Kyoto would probably be touring through the country. I think the the Shinkansen or the bullet train is going to be the easiest way to do that. Actually, my my recommendation for anyone touring around Japan, not just Kyoto itself, but throughout the country, they sell rail passes for I, I'm very jealous because I, I I'm not a tourist here. I live here. You can only buy these as a as a tourist um, with a tourist visa in your passport. But you can ride unlimited trains throughout Japan for I think they have they have like a one week pass or two week pass. And I think within one trip between Tokyo and Kyoto, it pays for itself. So Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, that's definitely the, I like guess I'm very <laughs> jealous of people who can get that because I, it's not available to me. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. All right. So obviously, you know, if we're flying into, into Tokyo, we're taking the bull train there. Like if we we're going to check out other cities, there's also that kind of like a, a closer airport that's maybe a, a more for domestic flights. Yeah, there's a there's another airport in Osaka. I think it's actually called Osaka Airport, but most of the locals will call it Itami. Itami Airport. Yeah, and those will have direct flights from Tokyo or any other major city in Japan. It's an international airport, but the flights are all domestic only. Okay, that makes sense. And and like you said, for us tourists, it's probably better off getting that that bullet train experience anyways for like that one price being able to kind of go around and check out and explore multiple cities throughout the country. Oh yeah, it's a great way to to see the countryside as well. Just Zooming past it at 200 kilometers an hour or however fast you're going. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, in the U.S., like we're used to like all the different planes and everything like that. And like just getting that unique experience of being on the bullet train is something that we don't have really an opportunity here in the United States. 
Yeah, I highly recommend it. Plus, it's just so quick and so convenient as well. Um, much more convenient than flying because you don't have to deal with check-in or baggage or any of that. You just go to the train station, put your ticket in the machine and get on the train and go. Yeah, that's awesome. I, yeah, that's, uh, one thing, I like airport lounges, but like getting there early and having to wait for the flight is kind of a, kind of a pain. Once we take the train to Kyoto and then from there, obviously exploring the city and getting around, like, is there public transportation that's easy to use there in the city? Yeah, I think like most other Japanese cities, um, the public transportation infrastructure is very strong. There's multiple train lines. I want to say like five or six train lines that kind of span out of Kyoto Station itself and just kind of go through the city. There's also a couple of subway lines um, that kind of do the same thing. But Kyoto itself, if you're going to be touring around, I'd really recommend getting on a bus. The city buses will take you anywhere you want to go. If you do take a lot of buses in one day, you can get like a day pass for all the buses. It costs around 500 yen and you can ride basically unlimited buses for a day, um, which, like I said, it pays for itself after a couple of rides. So the buses are very convenient. Another option is taxis. Taxis are a little bit more expensive especially here in Japan. I think if you're coming from the US or other countries, taxis are kind of, they're pretty high end here, I would say. They're very clean. The drivers are very, very knowledgeable about the city. But, and you'll, you'll get a nice experience in a taxi. You know, the, the door will swing open automatically for you. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a thing. They don't let you touch the doors. They don't want <laughs> you to do that. They'll, they'll, they'll press a button and the door will just open for you. That's pretty cool. Yeah, but if you just rely on taxis, it will get pretty expensive. So my recommendation is the buses for sure. Okay. So you mentioned like the 500 yen. Like, what would you say is like the kind of the equivalent of that as far as exchange rate for the US? So 500 yen equals about what? 500 yen is around four or $5 US. Okay. So around a hundred to one ratio, you know, just kind of in round numbers. Yeah. hundred, 120 to yen per dollar. Fantastic. And and so with people coming into the, uh, from the, say the US or another country, would you recommend people getting some cash or is it using a credit card or using like Apple pay or something like that is like, you know, more prevalent? I think most people traditionally will say that Japan is a very well, they say that cash is king in Japan, right? It's a cash-driven society. I would kind of argue against that, especially in recent years. There has been a big push for cashless payments. Personally, I use Apple Pay for 80, 90% of my day-to-day -day life. That said, it's still a good idea to have some cash on you. Um, if you go to a, like a smaller restaurant, they probably won't be able to take anything other than cash. But any other kind of if you're just shopping or if you're eating at kind of a larger restaurant, maybe a chain restaurant, you're going to be able to get away with with a credit card or um, even probably Apple Pay or some sort of contactless payment. OK, awesome. That makes sense. Uh, and plus for me, like I always want to earn the rewards anyway. So if I can use my credit card, I'm always I'm always trying to do that. And then you also mentioned like the tourist visa as far as being able to, to get like that train pass for us coming from from another country. So a visa is required to be able to enter Japan. Is that correct? For most countries, I think you could just show up. For the U.S., you can you can just show up and 
they'll stamp your passport. You don't need to get any visa or anything beforehand. Other countries, you might need a visa. So kind of depending on where you're, where you're coming from, you want to take a look at that beforehand just to make sure. That's one of the troubles sometimes with international travel is like, yeah. what are the rules? Do I have to get shots? Do I have to get like a visa? You know, obviously you need a passport and those types of things. Kind of along those same lines, obviously when I pronounce the words like Kyoto and stuff like that, it sounds very different than, than the way you pronounce it properly, <laughs> you know? So for those of us coming from another country, so obviously I don't know any Japanese other than being able to try to pronounce things and butchering the, 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 the names, unfortunately. Is it something that we need to know some Japanese ahead of time, or is it something where there's multiple languages on, on a lot of the signs? How does that work? Yeah, so Kyoto as a city, Kyoto loves its tourism. I would say that maybe there's a little too much English support around the city <laughs> in that it kind of loses its sense of adventure a little bit. Yeah, everything is in English. Um, if you go around to the, uh, obviously, like the trains, all the signs, announcements, everything is going to be in both Japanese and English and probably also Chinese and Korean. Likewise, if you go to a restaurant, most of the time you're going to have menus that are that are in multiple languages. Plus, all the menus have photos of the food, which is really, really helpful. And you can just point out whichever one looks the best. <laughs> it's very easy to get around the city with minimal or no Japanese. In terms of speaking to people, it might be kind of hit or miss. Um, simple English, I think most people will be able to understand it might be harder to have kind of more in-depth conversations depending on who you're, who you're talking to, but in the city itself, you should be you should be okay. Right on. Now, one of the things I've always found when I whenever I travel internationally is that if you know a couple words, and or at least like making an attempt to to know a little bit of the language, it always goes a long way. Like, are there a couple words that you'd recommend that people learn before they come to visit? Oh, yeah. Well, just to just to add on to that point here in Japan, even if you say the most simple thing, people will just be so impressed that uh, you're <laughs> at the fact that you're you're trying to use the language. Right. And there's a joke that if you say something like just arigato, right, thank you, they will respond with, oh, Nihongo Jozu desu ne, which means, oh, your Japanese is so good. Right. Despite <laughs> you having only said one word. But the more of the Japanese that you're able to speak, the less and less people will say this to you. Okay. <laughs> um, and they'll, they'll actually start telling you how bad your Japanese is. <laughs> so that's the goal. You want to you tell people how much your, your, your Japanese is terrible. But to answer your question, yeah, simple greetings like arigato, which means thank you. Konnichiwa is hello, obviously. Ohayou gozaimasu is one that you'll hear often, which means good morning. And yeah, it, even if you just say these these few words, people will be really impressed and they'll go above and beyond to try to communicate with you. Um, the one other thing that I would recommend if you're a beer drinker like like me, you can say namabiru kudasai, which means give me a draft beer. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's one I'm definitely going to have to remember. <laughs> it's a useful one <laughs> right on right on well let's talk about some of the things we should do when we're visiting kyoto so that way uh, we can really kind of get a taste of what the city's like what are some of the things that you recommend people do yeah so there's plenty of things to do around the city i think the biggest draw for most people is going to be kind of the shrines and the temples um, that you'll find throughout the city the most famous 
shrines? Um, well, there, there's there's a few famous shrines, but I think the one that everyone knows is going to be Fushimi Inari. Everyone has seen a picture of this place at some point in their lives, but you've got the orange Tori gates. Um, in some cases, you have a kind of a tunnel of Tori gates that you walk through. And it's a, yeah, it's it's definitely a very popular attraction. Another another one might be Kiyomizu Dera, uh, Kiyomizu Temple, which is this huge temple that it's kind of up on the hills overlooking the city. There's a kind of a like a platform. The temple itself is built onto the hill so you can stand on it and you just have these sweeping views over the city. You get incredible sunsets up there as well. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it, it, I even as someone who lives here, I, I go up there all the time because it's just such a beautiful view. Another one that people have probably seen before is King Kakuji, which is the Golden Pavilion. It's on the western side of the city. It's a little harder to get to. It's kind of farther from like the downtown area and all that. But like I said, if you take a bus, chances are you can find a bus that goes directly in that direction. So <laughs> it's not too difficult. It might take a little bit of time, though. Yeah, again, it's just a really beautiful view. With the There's a pond in front of this golden temple. The temple itself is coated in kind of gold leaf paper, I believe. That just makes it, it gives it such a nice contrast from the, the trees and the, the nature that surrounds it. Well, that sounds beautiful. Yeah. And I think one more popular location is going to be Arashiyama. Um, Arashiyama is a district also on the western side of town. It's famous for having a bamboo forest that just has these, the bamboo is just so, so it, it just towers over you, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's almost surreal to walk through. And yeah, also a very beautiful place. People who, who like their, their Instagrams will definitely want to hit that place up for sure. That's right. You got to do it for the gram for sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, well, I know museums are always like a big draw when, when people are traveling because that way you can see a lot of the local culture and, and history and, and, and art in one place. Are there a couple of museums that you recommend? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Kyoto obviously is full of, it's like, like I said, it's the cultural capital of Japan, right? So I think museums are a huge draw for, for people visiting. The big one is the National Museum, uh, the National Museum of Kyoto. It's an art museum and also kind of a history museum. There's a lot of kind of relics, artifacts from, from historic times, right? You might, depending on what they're doing, you might find a thing on like samurai or other fun historical things. It's a really large museum and you can easily spend a day there if you really wanted to. There's also a few art museums, a Kyoto, there's a Kyoto Museum of Art, Modern Art, I should say, is a is a fairly well-known one. And yeah, if you're into like manga and anime, manga being like the Japanese comic books, if you're into that, there's also a manga museum in Kyoto, which is kind of more of a library than a museum, you can go in and they just have tons of comic books that you can pick out and read. And obviously there's kind of galleries that talk about the culture and the, the history surrounding all these comic books as well. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Right on. Well, well, how about like, um, 
you know, I like to get my kids out and about and like kind of exploring and like hiking and stuff like that, just to kind of burn off their burn off their energy, you know. And then also we'll talk about the food, and it's a good way to burn off the calories of, of all the <laughs> yeah. eating. Are there a couple of like hikes or places that you recommend going out and just kind of exploring some of the, the nature and the beauty? Absolutely. So Kyoto is surrounded by by hills. It's surrounded by mountains. So there's tons of hiking. One of my favorites is Mount Hie, which is kind of on the northeast corner of the city. It's this large mountain that overlooks the city. It's a bit of a strenuous hike. I want to say it's like seven, 800 meters of climbing. Um, So, so it can be a big day. Um, (laughs) Pro tip, if you don't want to hike it, you can take the, there's a ropeway that goes up as well. So you can skip the hiking part and just go for the view. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, Yeah. Once you get to the top, there's a, there's a large temple complex on top as well called Enryakuji, which is also a UNESCO World Heritage Site. There's a lot of history up there as well. There's also, there, I think there's also a museum. There's a history museum up there that talks about the history. So more museums for you. And yeah, just absolutely beautiful views of the city and the surrounding nature. Another hike that I like that isn't as strenuous is actually going back to the Fushimi Inari Shrine that I spoke about earlier. The shrine itself is built into the mountain. And the part that most visitors will will visit is the is kind of like the very very beginning of the shrine like kind of first you basically enter the shrine you see this tunnel of gates of orange twitty gates and then that's kind of what everyone goes to look at but if you keep going the shrine really just keeps going up the mountain and it becomes a much more an experience where you have lots of nature around you there's way less people, which is really nice. Um, it's good to get away from the crowds. And yeah, it's a really, it kind of loops around so you can go up to the top. There's unfortunately no view at the top. It's kind of kind of a shame. You don't get to see anything, but then you can hike back down and um, there's restaurants and things kind of all along the way. So you can stop and eat something or get something to drink. And it's a, it's a good time. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's good to be able to go up there and like, like you said, especially as a as a photographer, you're, you're trying to do it for the gram, right? The more you can get away <laughs> from the crowds, the the easier it is to get that 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 really good shot. Absolutely. You know, uh, that's awesome. Well, I know we're running out of time a little bit here, but I, I don't want to miss out on the food. I know there's some just like really amazing you know foodie experiences there in Kyoto. Yes, Kyoto and Japan in general, Japanese food is definitely a big draw for people. Personally, I'm a I'm a big ramen guy. <laughs> I, I I love my ramen a lot. <laughs> Some favorites are there's a there's one called Senokaze, which is right in the middle of downtown Kyoto, and it's somewhere where I always have to take my friends. And I've kind of been there too many times, and the 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 people working always always thank me for for being there. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a very small restaurant, so you may have to wait quite a while. But the wait kind of speaks to, to how good it is. If you don't want to wait, there's another kind of local, uh, well-known ramen place called Tenka Ipin. Tenka Ipin is, it's actually a chain now, but it started in Kyoto. And you can, you can actually find Tenka Ipin kind of all around Japan at this point. But it's really known for its, its really thick and heavy broth. So it's a really, really filling bowl of ramen. But my my absolute favorite in Kyoto is uh, 
it's kind of a secret spot <laughs> and I can't tell you the name of it because it doesn't have a name. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I call it no name ramen, ramen <laughs> shop. If you search no name ramen shop into Google maps or any, something like that, you'll, you'll find it. But even just looking at it from the street, you won't know it's there. My big hint is to, to go, it might be below you when you get there. You might want to try to find a way downstairs somehow. It's almost like a speakeasy for ramen. Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> and even even once you're inside, once they, you sit down at the counter, they serve you ramen. They don't give you chopsticks or they don't give you like a napkin or anything, right? And you, you kind of wonder for a second, what, how am I going to eat this? And then you realize that you're sitting at the counter you're sitting at has a drawer, right? Right where your, your legs are and you can open the drawer and it's got all your chopsticks and napkins and oh, okay. spices and all the, all the goodies. I thought it was like a BYOC, bring your own chopsticks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very much a, you have to be in the know kind of place, but that's awesome. Yeah. The, the food is just amazing. Other than ramen, I like uh, yakitori a lot. Yakitori is like grilled chicken usually on a on a stick. And my favorite place to go to is is actually another chain. It's called Torikizoku. Torikizoku translated means chicken royalty, <laughs> but it's a the, <laughs> king chicken. Real, king chicken, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Torikizoku is a place that's really popular yeah. with with the locals. Many people will go there after work. And the reason is that it's really it's really inexpensive. Everything on the menu is the same price. It's around three hundred and fifty yen, I think, which is like two to three dollars US. Even the beer is the same price. And it's delicious for what you're paying. You're getting amazing food. And the ambiance is just really it's a really energetic restaurant, right? You've got you've got a lot of people and everyone's having a good time. So yeah, uh, Torikizoku is worth checking out. It's a it's a chain as well, so you can find it kind of everywhere. Cool, cool. It sounds like my yeah. my kind of spot. You know, cheap, good food, fun atmosphere. You know, you're hitting you're hitting on all three cylinders there. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. The locals like it for a reason. One la- one last thing before we go into the final countdown. I know we we've talked about a lot of like really cool like unique experiences. You know, that are more beyond like the touristy thing, and the, it's a little bit more like local experience. Uh, if we're staying there. Uh, I know you as a local generally don't stay like in the, the hotels and th- those type of things. Do you have any recommendations as far as like where we would stay if we want to get out of like the cookie cutter hotels and like something a little bit more uh, localized experience? Yeah. So, so Kyoto is a city full of hotels. Um, there, I think there's thousands of hotels in Kyoto itself. But if you really want to have an authentic Japanese experience, um, my recommendation is to stay in a ryokan. Um, a ryokan is a kind of a traditional Japanese inn. You, you'll be staying in a very traditional Japanese room with the tatami floor mats. Tatami is, is kind of like a it's like a woven dried grass, I want to say. Yeah, so that you've got the floor mats. You probably won't have any beds in your room, which is a shocker for a lot of people. And you'll actually, someone will come in and they'll set up a futon on top of the, the tatami mats. And it's a, it doesn't seem like a great sleeping experience, but <laughs> once you try it, it's, it's really nice. You can sleep really well. The biggest draw for these ryokan inns is the, is the food, actually, usually. And the food, you just sit in your room and someone will bring you all of your food. It's usually a multi-course meal. 
and someone will bring you your the first part of your meal. Once you finish that, they'll take your plates away and someone else will bring the next part of your meal. And it just goes on and on. And the food is usually excellent. Most of the locals will kind of judge Ryokan based on the food itself. So yeah, you don't you don't even have to leave your your room <laughs> really. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I think one uh, recommendation would be just there's a place called uh, Seikoro. And it's kind of right in the heart of the more traditional district, kind of on the east side of the city. And it's a it's a fairly well-known ryokan. It's a little on the pricey side, but again, you're getting the food and a really authentic experience as well. For sure, yeah. I mean, even if like you're somebody that wants to travel and stay like in a hotel or you know, you're used to like your Marriott or your Hilton or whatever – at least like spend one or two nights in a place like this just to get that that local experience that you can't find anyplace else. Especially like you talked about with like the way that they bring your bed in and the, the meals and everything like that. Like you're not going to get that at the Holiday Inn Express, right? Like, <laughs> you got you, you to get like that, that local experience you can't find someplace else. That's part of the whole reason for why you travel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend it for someone visiting Kyoto. If you're going to do it anywhere, I think Kyoto is the city to do it. For sure, for sure. Well, Tara, I really appreciate you coming and sharing all these amazing tips for Kyoto. I, I've learned so much, and it sounds like such an amazing city. I can't wait to come visit. But now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time for one meal when they visited, where should they go and what should they eat? Yeah, so I've had I've had a few times where friends would come visit just for an afternoon or things like that, maybe just passing through on their, their way to a different city. And we always go to a restaurant called Katsugyu. And katsugyu serves a meal called gyukatsu. And gyukatsu is basically beef katsu. If you don't know what katsu is, it's basically fried beef. And the way they do it is that they fry the beef itself for a very short amount of time. So it's, it's a very rare, very rare steak that you're getting. Everyone loves it. You can get free refills on, on rice and it comes with like a cabbage salad. And it's highly recommended. It's very good. Well, that sounds amazing. I know you've been there now for, for a handful of years uh, and you've created some amazing experiences that are, that are going to be in the book that we'll just talk about in a minute. If you had to the, describe like one of the most memorable situations, uh, what would that be? Yeah, that's a, it's a hard one. I, I feel like there's so many. <laughs> but I think the most memorable situation was just coming back to Japan, coming back to Kyoto for the first time as, a, as an adult. And seeing the city again that I've, I've seen so much as a child, um, just like we spoke about earlier, everything, I didn't have the perspective as, a, as an adult that I used to. And I didn't realize kind of, you know, I didn't think about the city as a, as a tourist destination or I didn't think of the city as like a, oh, it's not traditional or anything like that. It's just a city. It's just a city that I, I was in. So when I kind of had that additional perspective as an adult, you know, I kind of looked back and said, wow, these these are some very amazing places that I used to spend my time as a kid. Um, and having that realization was a very big thing for me. So, yeah, it's not a it's not a specific story or anything like that. But that whole kind of transition to being able to kind of experience the city again for a second time, I think, was was something that was very big for me. That's awesome. Yeah. like For me, similar to that is. When I've gone to cities before and then now I bring my kids with me, it's like that same thing, but in reverse, it's I've experienced that city as an adult, but now I get to experience it through like their eyes and their actions. It's like a, a whole different experience for me. I, I, I love it. And that's one of the reasons I travel so much with my kids, you know? Yeah. So speaking of uh, happy times and good memories, where's the happiest happy hour in Kyoto? So this one's actually going to be kind of a seasonal one. 
it's seasonal because you kind of have to do it during the summer or during kind of spring, fall, sometime when it's warmer out um, because it's not a specific restaurant or anything. But I think the happiest happy hour is down by the river, one of the major rivers that flows through through the city, the Kamo River, Kamogawa, has a is kind of like a big lawn that kind of goes alongside it. And what people will do is they'll go to the convenience store, just load up on on drinks and snacks and food and everything, um, and they'll take it down and just have a picnic by the river. And it's an amazing time. You're just hanging out with your friends. You can do great people watching. If the weather's nice and it just feels good to be outside, and that's my top recommendation. Yeah, that sounds amazing. We did a similar something similar like that in Paris, where we just went to like a store, grabbed some baguettes, and grabbed the, some wine, and just hung out like in the grass under the shadow of like the, the Eiffel Tower. And it was, it oh, was, yeah, that's it was great. awesome. Right on. Well, one of the things I always do whenever I travel is uh, check out the local pizza. What's the best place for pepperoni pizza in Kyoto? Ooh, it's a it's a it's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, like, you know, you gotta have sushi, you gotta have like the ramen and all all stuff like that when you're in Japan. But sometimes you just want like a like you're hankering for a little bit of of home, you know? Yeah, Costco. <laughs> 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 you know what? I haven't really found an amazing pizza here in Kyoto. That said, what I can I can recommend if you're if you're feeling a little daring. Japan likes to do things. Like Japan likes to do everything in a very Japanese way, and that includes the pizza. So you can go to a Domino's and you can get the. I don't want to say crazy, but let's say the most intriguing pizzas you've ever seen. <laughs> I've seen pizzas with squid and octopus on it. Teriyaki chicken is obviously something that you'll find. I've even found pizzas with like uh, like. Gyoza, which is like a, a Japanese dumpling, like each slice has a dumpling on it, and I I didn't try it. I was very intrigued, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, if you're feeling adventurous, the pizza can be a, a wild ride here. <laughs> oh, for sure, that, that definitely sounds like it. I'm gonna have to go out a little bit on my on my zone of comfort and try to find something where I'm, <laughs> where I'm getting that, that experience, but also get my, my pizza fix for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know obviously you lived here and grew up in, in the U S but have, have now been in Kyoto for a while and, and everything like that. I'm sure you've also traveled throughout the country and, and other places as well. What's one of your best travel tips for me personally? I try not to plan too much. I, I realize for any travel, you need to plan. You need to plan a little bit, at least. Um, and I realize for, for many, going in with minimal planning is can be a very stressful and it can bring you a lot of anxiety, right? But I like to at least leave some room to improvise because I always find that the best adventures, right? The best memories always come from times when they're always off the cuff, right? Like you don't really know what you're getting into, but you do something anyways. and turns out that you have a great time and this isn't something that you can plan for ahead of time. Many of these experiences aren't things that you can kind of read about on say TripAdvisor or things like that, but they happen spontaneously. So yeah, I, I would just say try to leave a little bit of space in there where you can you can let the magic happen and see what kind of adventures you can go on. For sure. I totally agree with that. Yeah, so Taro Thank you for all the, sharing all these amazing tips. Uh, I learned so much. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? 
Yeah, so my, my day job is I work in education here in Japan. I work a lot with the, like the English education and I work with a lot of schools and a lot of foreign teachers who come and visit Japan to teach. So that's my day job. But the thing I do on the side is I am a travel photographer.、Um, I like to travel around and kind of just photograph the things I see. I use it to meet people and to kind of see things that I wouldn't have seen otherwise or kind of just enjoy new experiences. That's so cool. Yeah. And I know I've seen just a, a snippet of like your photography and they are just amazing. Far better than anything I've ever done. And it's inspiring and makes me want to like learn photography so I can be like half as good as you are. But I know you have a book coming out too. Can you tell us a little about your book? Yeah. So the book is called In Kyoto. It's basically a, it's a photo book that kind of goes back on my first five or so years of living here in Kyoto. Um, and it's kind of just the city as I've seen it, right? And it's coming out through Trope Publishing.、Um, they've done a great job with it. They've found a lot of traditional Japanese poetry to mix in along with the photos to really give it that, that vibe. <laughs> and yeah, I'm really excited to be able to share it with you. That's so cool. I think it's a great book to. Probably learn a lot about you know, Kyoto and Japanese culture, but also something just kind of cool that you'd have like on your, on your coffee table. You know, that's like a conversation piece when people like stop by and for a drink or, or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's a book that hopefully people can lose themselves in. I hope that'd be great. If somebody has questions about your book or your photography or, or Kyoto, what's the best way to reach you on social media? Yeah, so I'm on both Instagram and Twitter.、Um, my handle is just Taro Moberly, T A R O M O B E R L Y.、Um, that's one word.、Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm on social media quite a bit. You can also visit my website at taromoberly.com. Again, just one word. Well, fantastic. Well, we'll definitely include links to all that in the show notes. Taro, it's great meeting you and learning all about Kyoto, and we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you come over here, Lee. What an awesome conversation with Taro. Visiting Japan is high on my bucket list, and I can't wait to visit someday. You can find all the links we talked about today and our one page guide to Taro's tips at wetravelthere.com forward slash Kyoto. We want to say thank you to Wardwall for being today's affiliate partner. It's my favorite way to track airline miles, hotel points, and other loyalty programs. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash award wallet. To start your free account today. Join us next time as we visit Asheville, North Carolina, to speak with my new friend Mike Pajoli, an incredible photographer and the author of Blue Ridge Streaming. In this episode, Mike and I talk about exploring the Biltmore Estate, hiking to Catawba Falls, and seeing the red pandas at the Western North Carolina Nature Center. We hope you join us when we travel there. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends and tell me what you like most. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app. That way, you won't miss any of our upcoming destinations.